Good morning, Lamb of God family and friends and visitors. I love, I just love that song. It's a new song to me. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. That is what we are all here to do is just draw near to God and He draws near to us and we need Him and He's here for us for all that we have going on. No matter what we're dealing with, our Father is a Father who is not far off. He's not distant. He is near to us. He is actually within us. His Spirit dwells with us. And I'm so thankful today for the love of God, His mercy and His grace. And we're going to have communion together. And as we've been sharing each week about the different ways that Jesus has bled for our complete redemption, today I want to talk about His hands. Jesus was pierced. His hands, His wrists, they were nailed to the cross. And, and because of that, this is what happened in Genesis through our sin. It said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And, and there is a curse upon the work of mankind. And Jesus took that curse upon him, and as his hands were pierced, he restored to us the blessing of God, the blessing of God, that all that you would do, all the work of your hands would be blessed of God, and your life would be fruitful, and it would produce life. And it would be in the image of God that you would produce life out of God's spirit moving in us and through us. Our hands, as I was looking at different verses of what Jesus did with his hands, he also wants us to do the same things with our hands. He used his hands to bless. He brought the children near him. He put his hands on them and blessed them. He used his hands to send and he would put his hands on his disciples and send them with a, with a mission. He used, uh, he, we talk about using our hands to pray and lifting our hands towards heaven and our hearts towards heaven. And he used his hands to heal and we are to use our hands to heal. And also we use our hands to impart the Holy Spirit to others. And so our hands are meant to be a, the hand of blessing, not of cursing. And may God bless the work of your hands and all that you do. May, the, the, may God work through you to produce a life of fruitfulness and life and abundance in all you do because he's with you and he's in you and his favor rests upon you. You are not under a curse any longer. You are the blessed sons and daughters of God. And may all that we do be blessed of the Lord. Let's take communion this morning. Let's just continue to rely on him for everything that we need for life and for godliness. Lord Jesus, we come to you today thanking you for our great and awesome salvation and for the demonstration of your love toward us. Lord, we remember that you bled seven different ways that our redemption would be complete and lack nothing. Lord, we have everything we need. We have mental health in you. We have emotional healing in you. We have physical healing in you. Lord, we have blessing and favor upon us because of you. We have been restored into fellowship with God and into our original uh, relationship and commission from him to be rulers as ambassadors on this earth. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you today that we are at the top, not the bottom. We are the head, uh, you know, and, and not the behind. We are blessed and we're not cursed and your favor rests upon us. May our bodies be healed. May our minds be be sound, and may our emotions uh, also be healed that we could be full of life today. And we pray to you and look to you for all these things that we need for life and for godliness. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take communion together.
Thank you, Jesus, for your blessing in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We are, I'm super excited to continue this series that we're doing on the power of Pentecost. And we're looking at the three main ways that God has empowered us, who has empowered you and I, the church, at Pentecost for this season of human history, which is the last days. And God has poured out his power upon us and the power that God has given us has a purpose. And we're going to get to that next week. But today I want to continue our series as we look at how has God empowered us and and changed us at Pentecost. Today on the Christian calendar is Pentecost Sunday. All over the uh, world, Christians are celebrating today and remembering what God has done on this day in human history. But what God is doing today is still a result of his outpouring of his presence upon us. So last week I talked about the word of God and how the word of God is written on our hearts. And that's the first PowerPoint I want to make. PowerPoint, you know, the power of Pentecost was that God wrote his word on our hearts. And I mentioned the word for the word of God in Hebrew is Torah. And I I broke that down last week. I just want to quickly remind you that the pictographic Uh, definition of that word is to the cross is nailed the prince of heaven behold him see him view him look at him and so this word Torah has often been translated in our English Bibles as the word law and it paints a completely different picture of of what that word really means it means teaching and instruction and I always think of Torah in the Bible as the bullseye for life. That's how I view this word. I've studied it. I've looked at it. I've read the whole Bible. I've studied the Bible. The Torah is the bullseye for life. And I want to share with you two words that are incredibly important for you to understand the entire scope of the Bible. The first word is love. And I want to share with you that God's motive toward us and toward you is love. Every command Every part of the Bible is motivated by the love of God toward us. And God's agenda for you, the other word I want to give you is this, it's life. God's agenda for you is life, that you would have life abundant, life to the full. God is all about life. He's not about death. And he's all about love. He's not about hate or judgment. Now, I don't know what your background is, but I know many people had a religious background that would be um, sort of categorized as a fear-based upbringing. And it goes like this, that uh, many of us were taught, you know, early on in, in church or in our religious background that, that God is a God who has rules. He has laws and that you better do those things. And if you don't do those right, then bad things will happen to you or maybe God would uh, make something bad happen to you or God would strike you or that you would go to hell. And uh, now I'm kind of really kind of wrapping up a whole lot of little thoughts into in some, some big statements here. But some of us can relate to that kind of an upbringing of religion that we better do the right things. We better not do the wrong things or else or else. And I just want to share with you that that is unbiblical. That is not the story of the Bible. The Bible is filled with the demonstration of God's love towards us and God's agenda or desire to see you have life and have it to the full. 
And so Torah in the picture says, look at the one on the cross, the Prince of Heaven. This is the climax of the entire progression of the Bible. It is an unfolding revelation of God's love and his, and his desire for you to be alive eternally through the climactic finish of the revelation of his love and his life through Jesus Christ, the Son of God on the cross. This is amazing to me. The word of God, Jesus, comes to us and then he fulfills it by going to the cross and fully paying for your sins and mine. This is why it's so incredible that at Pentecost, the word of God no longer was written on stones of tablets, tablets of stone, but God himself with his spirit begins to write his word on our hearts and we come alive and it changes who we are. I don't know about you, but um, I remember when I was younger, always trying to do the right things and not always being able to do that, getting frustrated. I'd like liken it to like if you were an, uh, an aspiring artist and you wanted to be a great painter, and at first you're just learning colors and then you're learning brush strokes and, and then you, you begin to practice and you have this desire to be great. You have this desire to, to get in the zone and just uh, and do this beautiful artwork, but it's frustrating. You know what you want, but it's hard to get there. I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up a new skill or learn, learn something new and, and you know that frustration of the learning curve. And life is like that where I have felt, man, I want to be better. I want to be happy. I want to be filled with joy, but I can't always be filled with joy. I want to have patience, but I can't always have patience. I, I, want to, I want to please God, but I can't always please God. And there's this frustration because the word is out there and I see what I ought to be, but I, I can't be that until Pentecost and until the Holy Spirit begins to come a part of our inner workings of who we are, then he changes all that. It's almost like being a painter and, and you're possessed momentarily by the spirit of Michelangelo, you know? And all of a sudden, when, when Michelangelo would come inside of you, you would see everything clearly. You would see the sculptures inside the marble that's, that's there. You would see the painting and the colors like never before. You would feel the inspiration of the, the agility and the precision of strokes that he possessed or whatever. You see what I'm saying? Now, now we are possessed now. We are filled now with the Holy Spirit. And now he's writing his word on our hearts and he's literally working in us the ability to live the word of God in such a way that we then begin to benefit the life from it. It's amazing. And this is what Philippians 2.13 says. I love this verse. It's going to be our verse that we memorize and think about all week long. It says, it is God who works in you to will and act in order for his good purpose, to fulfill his good purpose. And what is God's good purpose? Throughout the whole scriptures, we see that he wants us to know his love, to know him intimately, and to be with him forever, to have eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God now, the first thing that we talked about last week is now his spirit is writing his word on our hearts and we are becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, then we also become uh, more filled with the life because we're able to put into practice the word of God, which is all about life. And then others around us benefit too because they begin to be closer to Jesus and they begin to see Jesus through us his love, his goodness, his joy, and his purpose. Isn't that awesome? 
Now, I want to transition to today's point, which is this. Pentecost, of the three different power uh, empowerment points I want to make, is the second one, is that now the presence of God dwells in us. The Spirit of God Himself now dwells in us. Now, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, and 50 days later, they, they met God at Mount Sinai, what was their first encounter with God like? Well, it was a terrifying experience. I want to read for you a little bit of it out of Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 16 to 19. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. They were freaking out. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. So the people are going to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. And uh, later in, in chapter 20, verse 18 to 19, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. I mean, they were experiencing almost like a volcanic um, trembling of the mountain. The mountain was filled with smoke, fire, the whole mountain was shaking and trembling and the people were freaking out and there was a loud trumpet from heaven and it got louder and louder. It didn't fade. So there's noise. There was shaking. Uh, there was a demonstration of the power and holiness and glory of God who descended upon Mount Sinai and the people knew there's no way we can get close to God or we'll die. We, don't, we can't even hear him speak to us. Moses, you speak to us, but don't let God speak to us because if he speaks to us, we're, we're, we're goners. Now, why were the people so afraid? What caused this great fear in them? Not just the physical, you know, mountain and all that stuff, but there was something deep inside of them that was freaking out. What causes fear? And the interesting thing is, when we go back to the beginning of, of the Bible, when sin entered the world, we see a reaction for the first time in humanity of fear. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They hid. They heard God coming. And what did they do? God's coming. Oh, we can't, we can't be near God. We can't see God. And they were afraid. And God said, what, where are you at? What's going on? And Adam said, we hid because we were afraid. Sin causes us fear, fear of God, because in the holiness of God, we know that our unworthiness and our sin and our fallenness, that we can't be in the presence of this holy, awesome, almighty God. So sin is a barrier between intimacy with mankind and God. So how do we bridge that gap? to have intimacy with God so that we're not at a distance like the people were at the first Pentecost. We're not afraid of God. We're not intimidated, but that we can draw near to God. What, what needs to happen? The sin barrier needs to be removed. The sin consciousness of mankind needs to be dealt with. And, and so why do you think the enemy, Satan, is constantly reminding you of your failures? Why is he constantly uh, shaming you? 
condemning you and, and pouring guilt on you, reminding you of all the ways you don't measure up. Why do you think he does that? Because he wants you to stay away from God because those things, the sin that we've done causes us to hide from God, to be at a distance from God because we feel unloved or unworthy or shamed. And so the enemy uses that tactic all the time to condemn people, to keep them from church, keep them from God, keep them from praying, keep them from receiving God's love. So the sin barrier needs to be removed if we're to have intimacy. Now, the first Pentecost was that picture there that I just gave you. But the second Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that we're going to talk about bridged that gap. Now, this is what God said to the people. God wanted to dwell with us. His plan has always been to dwell with us. From day one, God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, but our sin separated us from him. So God had a plan, and God began to work his plan to bridge that gap, to bring us back into fellowship with himself. And so this is what he said in Exodus 25, verse 8. He said, have them, he said this to Moses, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So the Hebrew word for sanctuary is this word called mikdash, mikdash. And the Hebrew word for dwell is the word mishkan. And uh, so mikdash, the sanctuary, which means a holy place, is built from another Hebrew word called kadash. And kadash is to make holy, to be holy, to be set apart. So God says, make me a place that is holy, that is set apart. I need a place that is holy without sin that I can then bring my mishkan, my dwelling place. I can bring myself and bring a, my resting presence. I can live in this holy place. The mishkan is God's dwelling presence in a mikdash, a holy place. So God says, I need a holy place for me to show up and to reside in and to rest in. Now, that started out as a tent. It grew to be a tabernacle. And uh, during Solomon's time, it was built into a temple. And for the people to get close to God during this season of time of history, they needed to have blood sacrifices of animals because only the blood would make atonement for our sin. And so that's why God said, make me a holy place. The people wanted to be close to God. God wanted to be close to him. But there had to be something that dealt with the sin issue. So the temporary solution was the blood sacrifices of animals. And so every time you wanted to come near God, you had to account for your sin. You had to bring a blood sacrifice to a priest. The priest would offer that on your behalf. But the closest you could get to God was uh, the outer courts. There was outer courts where people could bring their sacrifice. There was an inner court where only the priests could go. And then there was the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, where only one person, the high priest, one day of the year could enter in after many blood sacrifices on behalf of the people. Nobody could get close to God because none of these blood sacrifices of animals were permanent or good enough solutions to remove the sin barrier and take away the fact that you and I would, would die in the presence of a holy God because of our sin and our worthiness. So Jesus comes, and this is the great news of Jesus, and this was fulfilled only 50 days prior 
to the Acts chapter 2 outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. 50 days prior, Jesus became the Passover lamb for us, as we've talked about recently. And he sacrificed himself for our sin on a cross. He willingly gave his life for us. He died to take our penalty of death so that we wouldn't die in the presence of God. And so we can be restored to the presence of God. And when God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, on resurrection day, on Easter, which we celebrate, on that day when Jesus was rose from the dead, it validated that his sacrifice was accepted by God on our behalf. And we have new life in him. And we could be with God. We could be in his presence without being vaporized. This is amazing. This is who Jesus is. That's why Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Do you know what Jesus did after he rose from the dead? He went into the Holy of Holies. Now, when God told Moses to make a sanctuary for him, God gave him the pattern, the blueprints. When God told David um, that he couldn't build the temple, but his son could build the temple for him. God gave David the blueprints for the temple. And he said, make it exactly according to the pattern that I've shown you. And we see in the book of Hebrews that the temple and the tabernacle were pictures of the reality of heaven. That in heaven, there is a real place where God is dwelling. And it's a some sort of uh, mirror or connection to the pictures of, you know, the temple that was built that God gave the instructions for. And so as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood once a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for the sins of the nation and all the people, Jesus himself entered in to the real Holy of Holies in heaven. But he didn't come with the blood of bulls and goats or a heifer. He came with his own blood, the blood of the Son of God who loves us, who died for us and gave the perfect and once and for all perfect sacrifice for all the sins of mankind. He went into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. And when he was done, he sat down and he has been there ever since interceding for you and for me. And none of your sin gets through the blood of Jesus. Your sin is completely covered. Now, there are three things I need you to understand about the power of this concept, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us and dwelling in us. This is so amazing to me. God said, make me a sanctuary, make me a mikdash, okay? And, and then my mishkan, my, my dwelling presence will fill that place. For a long time in history, that was a tent and it was a building, but in Acts chapter 2, the building switched to a person, you and me. How in the world could God inhabit a human being with all of our failures and all of our sin and all of our unworthiness? How is this even possible? This blows my mind away. How could this happen? The only way it could happen is if God had dealt with our sin issue once and for all. That's exactly what Jesus did. And so by, by the fact that God could dwell into us by his spirit proves to us that we truly, by faith in Jesus, are forgiven and set free 
of all of our sin. God could not inhabit a place filled with sin. And when he inhabits us by his spirit, that is proof that we truly are forgiven and free from sin. Might not look like it. Uh, You may still have some uh, mistakes and mess ups, but in the eyes of heaven, all of your sin has been paid for and you are now a holy place. This is the second part I want to, to point out. You are now the mikdash. You are now the sanctuary. You have been cleansed of all sin and you are righteous and you are holy and God now dwells inside of you. That's the third. Now the Mishkan, the presence of God, the resting presence of God now comes into this new sanctuary, which is you and I, the church, because we are forgiven by Jesus and a sacrifice. And now we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is unbelievable. God had always wanted to dwell with us and in us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with you and he will be in you. And when he ascended back into heaven and sat down 10 days later, Acts chapter 2 happened and the Holy Spirit filled the believers. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with God, but I meet a lot of people who still have a relationship with God as if it's the first Pentecost. They're afraid of God. They're distant from God. They think that God is out to get them if they don't toe the line. They think that it's all on them to obey all the rules and to not break any of them. They have this heavy burden of religion and expectation that they put on themselves that someone has taught them that's not correct, that it's their job to please God. It's their job to be right. It's their job to do it all the the perfect way. But that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that we were never meant to do that. We cannot be perfect. We need Jesus and the grace of God, the compassion of God, the love of God, the mercy of God is demonstrated through the cross of Jesus Christ for you and for me. There's nothing we could do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to deserve it. It is God and God gets all the glory. So trust in him today. Place your faith in him today. Call out on Jesus today and let his mercy and his grace fill your heart and set you free from that first Pentecostal kind of relationship with God. And may you know him and intimately have fellowship with him and experience his love. Look at the difference. I want to finish by looking at the difference in Acts chapter 2 versus Exodus chapter 19. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, just as the people were all together at the foot of the mountain. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Reminds me of the trumpet that came from heaven that day at Mount Sinai that got louder and louder. And there's a trumpet call of God filling the room, this violent noise, the showing up of the king, the announcement that the king's presence is coming. You know what I'm saying? And it goes on to say, and it filled the whole house where they're sitting, just like the mountain was filled with the trembling. Verse three, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, just as the original Pentecost people saw that the mountain was covered with smoke because the Lord had ascended on the mountain in fire. And now the Spirit of God is ascending upon the people in tongues of fire, what, what looked like fire, pillars of fire. In verse 4, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit instead of being filled with fear and trembling. 
Now the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And they began to speak in other tongues as the the Spirit enabled them. In other words, God began to speak through them. And they were afraid in the first time that God would even speak to them. But now the New Testament Pentecost is God has filled them and God speaking through them to the people around them miraculously. And this is a completely different experience of the presence of God. Look at the difference. We are not distant from God. We don't fear God now, not, not in a, an un, 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 unhealthy way. We have a healthy fear and respect for God. He's awesome. He's mighty. He's, he's, he's everything that we need and, he, and we need him. We need him. So we have that healthy respect and awe of God, but we don't have an unhealthy fear of God. We are not distant from him. The people were distant. Now God is with us and he's in us and we know him. And we don't have to go through Moses to get to God. We don't have to go through Pastor Tim to get to God or a priest. We all come into the presence of God right now. We all can have him near us and in us and speaking through us and filling us and giving our life an expression of love and joy and peace. Now we can enjoy the fruits of the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning inside of us, the fruits of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know, self-control, faithfulness, all of these things. Now we can begin to live out the Word of God. We can begin to live out of the Spirit of God because He is in us, working through us. Hallelujah. I, I pray that you have this kind of relationship with God. And if you don't, that you exchange your old mindset for a new one. And on Pentecost, the disciples were spending 10 days seeking Him, seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit, seeking the promise that God would come to them and fill them and empower them. They were anticipating an outpouring of God's love, an outpouring of God's presence. And on the 10th day, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, they were filled and this was their experience. And they were never the same. Instead of being intimidated by God, now they had security. And instead of being filled with fear, now they were bold and courageous. And they began to make a difference in their, in their world. And people began to get saved and come to God. And God wants you to live a fruitful and a spirit-filled life. And may you seek Him on this day of Pentecost. May you cry out for God, God, I need you. I want you. Fill me. May you anticipate an outpouring of God upon you and your life. And may you have this intimacy with him. Because the good news is the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, not just with us. And you can have all that you want. The Holy of Holies has been opened to us. What a great and awesome time that we live in. May the Spirit of God fill you to overflowing. May you flow in him and be filled with him. And may the fruits of the Spirit fill your life. And may you experience the love of God like never before. And may you have the abundance of life that God has purposed for you to have. In Jesus' name. I want to pray for you before we go and bless you. And then stick around for Ryan's message to our children, okay? God, on this day of Pentecost, we come to you now. And we seek you, Lord, a fresh filling. We need you. We pray for a fresh touch from heaven today, Lord, that we would experience more of you and be released from old-time religion, the stuff that would put burdens on us that we were never meant to carry. Lord, the way that we would view you or your word 
as laws, as rules, as pressure. God, we pray that you would help us to change our mind and to see the revelation of the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. May we see your motive is love and your agenda is life. May we cooperate with you by just seeking you and allowing you to rule and reign in us. Fill us, O God. Fill us, Lord, we need you. O giver of life, sustainer of life. May your life just overflow. Springs of living water come upon us today as we seek you with all of our heart. We thank you for the promise that we will find you. Lord, as we draw near to you, we thank you for the promise that you draw near to us. Thank you, Lord, that we lack no good thing in you. You are everything to us, and we love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. I love you guys. Looking forward to seeing you soon. We're working hard at transitioning back to gathering together. So we'll see you soon. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.